Hello everyone and welcome to Joe's Tango Podcast, where we have eye-opening conversations with all types of fascinating tango professionals. I'm your host, Joe Yang. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to all you first-time and newer listeners. Really glad you're here and hope you're having a good day. Sorry I didn't get around to posting an episode last week. It's been a really crazy couple of days, but I'm back to my regular schedule, more or less. As you know, tango music isn't just about playing notes on an instrument. And we're going to do a bit of a deep dive on learning tango music and how it helps us understand life. My guest today is a highly accomplished and internationally renowned bandoneon player. She has been studying music all her life and has collaborated with a number of music, dance, and film artists in the U.S., Canada, South Korea, and South America. Her notable appearances include the Marlboro Music Festival, the Teatro Colón debut with the Branford Marsalis Quartet, and the Musica Maestra Ensemble by Diego Chisi. Creator of the Loque Bendra Piazzola Marathon, she performs extensively with tango ensembles. These are just a few of her many accomplishments, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. And with me now is Shinju Cho. Shinju, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. It's really nice to be talking to you. Likewise. Nice to be here, Joe. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I definitely want to get into uh, you as a tango musician. You have a, probably have a lot of really interesting stories and insights there. But I first wanted to kind of talk about your, your origin as a musician. So you started mus- studying music at a very young age. Uh, what instrument did you start out with? Was, was it the piano? Yeah, it was the piano. Um, and like many children from my background <laughs> mm-hmm. and generation, my parents decided what I was going to play. Oh, okay. And my mom is a vocalist. She's a, a classically trained singer. And she had wished she studied piano. So that was the instrument that she chose for me. All right. And that that's how it began. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, my parents chose a violin for me, but I later switched to piano when I was uh, when I was four. Oh, so. that was very brave of you. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> Didn't know what I was getting myself into. So, uh, did you fall in love with the piano right away, or did it take some time? Or I, I was, I didn't. Um, it was something that I was good at, and um, at that age, you don't really question what this is and what you want. Mm-hmm. And um, I just uh, thought that's something that, that I was supposed to do. Okay. Um, it wasn't until I think middle school um, when I, I've had some really good teachers, mm. um, to be fair, but we immigrated to Hawaii from Korea uh, when I was 13. Mm-hmm. And a few years after I met um, my mentor. Okay. Uh, he was a piano professor at the University of Hawaii at that point, Peter Coraggio. Mm. And um, he really is the one who turned me on to what is music and why. Mm-hmm. And um, the point of playing any instrument, how to make music rather than playing an instrument. So that was a turning point. And I, up until then, it was something that I did out of, you know, habit and a sense of duty. I think. <laughs> nice. Nice. So I take it you were classically trained in the beginning? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. So um, the the uh, transition or the like the process of going from Korea to to Hawaii. What was that like? You're age thirteen. It's a big change for for a kid. It is big, and it's just before the puberty begins. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's about that time. Mm-hmm. So I think it was quite dramatic uh, internally. 
but we and um and we went to a it wasn't a total culture shock in mm. some ways it was a culture shock but it was the u.s but a very mm. asian version of U- yeah. the u.s mm-hmm. um so the culture was friendly i think it was a and i was born and raised in seoul mm-hmm. which is a huge teeming metropolitan city so um going to a tiny little island was a big switch mm-hmm. and um i i think there was a part of us that was relieved and really fascinated mm-hmm. and frustrated um, because I, you know, you're old enough to want to express yourself and you have to start over with another language. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a big one. <laughs> but Hawaii is not a bad place for for a kid to grow up. It's overall the culture is really laid back. Yeah. And because it is such a melting pot of so many cultures uh, with um, Asian cultures being the lead uh, combination. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot more accepting and it was confusing coming from a hetero, um, very homo- homogenous society, society such as Korea mm-hmm. and going to Hawaii. Um, but at the same time, you were sort of given a license to look the way you do in spite of the fact that you were in the U.S. Yeah. where you expected a whole lot of white people <laughs> in the, in my old image of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, growing up as a kid. So, and, um, once again, the culture is very, um, gentle and open mm-hmm. and, very accepting so um, and with the beautiful weather and yeah (laughs) yeah so continuing to play uh, piano throughout this time uh, like you said when you met your mentor uh, so how did your your playing start to to change because he said it's not just about the mute you know playing the instruments about really understanding the music which I think is really really fascinating so how did how did that uh, become a turning point for you Probably the biggest difference was that I was now um, music, um, that I was more in charge of making music for myself. Mm-hmm. And the classical uh, music genre as whole, it's all about interpreting somebody else's music. And most of the time it's some dead guy's music. Um, and um, But he, the perspective he brought was that he put me in that front seat of, um, creating the music inside me mm-hmm. rather than sort of getting the instruction downloaded and repeating it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a creative uh, creativity license that um, was eye-opening. And then I think from there on, the first change was that I wanted to practice. I wanted to get better. I was always practicing, but um, I, I wanted to get better. And I now had a goal as to what this music can feel like and to actually feel it rather than do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I then that um, confirmed the fact that I was going to apply for a conservatory, which I did, mm-hmm. and um, I went to a school in New Jersey. It was a small music school, mm-hmm. and um, at that point on, I think I really had it. Um, I had a different appreciation for what my role was mm-hmm. in this music making. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So going on to study music, uh, how did your parents react when you said, "I want to"? I want to study music. Were they supportive? Oh, that's all they wanted me to do. Okay. So there is no problem happy. there. That's great. Unlike <laughs> other great. families who have, mm-hmm. you know, reservations about music career. Yeah. My mother really so much wanted me to be a musician, nice. professional musician. Okay. Um, and, you know, to to add, she really wanted me to a concert, to be a concert pianist. Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, you know, that sort of potential and investment and careers really start showing by high school. Mm-hmm. So, 
I um, there was an interruption when we immigrated to Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of years where I couldn't, I didn't play. Um, my mom allowed me to quit <laughs> uh, as I was uh, transitioning, and the immigrant immigration was a you know huge change for everyone. Yeah. So she didn't have the energy mm-hmm. to sustain the kind of investment she had in me. Okay. Um, so with that break and sort of a change in the outlook, mm-hmm. um, I went to music school and um, you know began to learn a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, what became close to me, uh, clear to me was that I wanted to know more than classical music. Mm-hmm. So then I think by sophomore year, mm-hmm. I started thinking about what else is out there, wondering, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, so the music school was you know, very much all about the classical music and the piano study, and the school offered quite well-rounded musicianship and training. Mm-hmm. So um, I had to study conducting, mm. diction class, uh, singing, um, music education, and um, other things that really uh, make music possible. Mm-hmm. So I think there was a lot of turning points happening in school. Nice. Well, which school did you go to? Westminster Choir College. Okay. It's in uh, Princeton, New Jersey. Okay. Wow. So from Hawaii all the way to the other side of the continental U.S. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of ground you're covering. So how did you discover tango music? So I mentioned that I got curious about music outside of classical music in school. And um, after school, I, I was... I was attracted to a field called ethnomusicology, Mm -hmm. Um, musicology of ethnic music. Uh, It's sort of, for lack of a better word, uh, world music kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, I thought that was how I was going to follow my curiosity about music of other culture and other traditions. And I thought if I really want to do this, then I should get to know my own music first. Um, I was born and raised in Korea, but my, like the most of the country, you are, um, you begin your music education or any music appreciation with the music notation system of the West and classical music. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Korean traditional music is somewhere in the back there, but it's not something that you're oriented with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, you know, I should start with my own origin, understand where that's coming from from before I talk about or explore other cultures. Mm-hmm. So I enrolled in um, Korean traditional music history and some instruments and you know classes that are being offered in Korea in the, it's an institute for traditional music. So I went for a few months and I was really enjoying it. And I was working a little and then going to a lot of concerts, just trying to listen to what's out there. Mm-hmm. And one of the concerts that I had a cheap ticket to was um, a concert of Eight Seasons, um, which is a mashup of music by uh, Antonio Vivaldi and um, Astrid Piazzolla. And the group that was performing that was um, led by violinist Gooden Kremer, who is a well-known violinist interpreter of uh, Piazzolla's music and his uh, string orchestra, uh, Chromatica Baltica. Mm. Chromatica Baltica, I think. So I went to see it, and that was my first time listening to Piazzolla's music. Mm-hmm. So that Piazzolla and, grabbed you. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't within the tango tech context, mm-hmm. um, and I listened to it, and I felt like I was getting zapped. Um, something was happening, and mm-hmm. I don't know, the 
as people say, my, my mind was blown. Mm -hmm. My eyes were opened and I just got really curious. So after that, then I started um, learning about him and then getting familiar with the Bandonian sound mm -hmm. and then ultimately going down further in the rabbit hole like <laughs> really wanting to know more about tango genre, mm -hmm. which is not you know, necessarily always um, piazzola, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I've been saying that I went to Korea trying to discover my origin, mm -hmm. but what, what was waiting for me was tango. Nice. Yeah, it's so fun. I've talked to several musicians and they and a lot of them who like you started off on this, you know, kind of a classical path and then tango calls them. You know, they didn't seek tango, tango sought them and that's always really interesting how that how that happens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So eventually, uh, well, first let me ask, uh, what was I guess the maybe the the perception or the attitude towards tango music at a at music school? It never came up. It never came up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, tango was not a genre that came up at all. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe it did, and I wasn't paying attention. Mm -hmm. um, and given that tango um, as a genre had its own um, sort of a winter and then renaissance again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, starting in the 80s and 90s. Um, so it was not something that I paid attention to. Mm -hmm. However, um, I my grandfather was a multi-instrumentalist mm -hmm. and my father's father. Uh -huh. And all, while my dad father was not a musician, he was an avid listener. Mm. Um, and he had his father's ears. He likes to think. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so he always played music of other cultures in the house. So mm -hmm. there was an LP or cassette tape running of um, bouzouki music from Greece, uh, um, flamenco guitar or classical guitar mm -hmm. and singers from other cultures. So I, I think um, although tango was never really discussed or something that I paid attention to, I, I think that he kind of put a primer on sort of uh, being intrigued by sound mm -hmm. um, of other music yeah nice and when i started go i mean i, I think to get back to your question mm -hmm. i think tango perceived when i started out mm -hmm. when i was getting curious um it was something like people's reaction was like oh that's nice wow. but i think they kind of equated it to some old schmaltzy music <laughs> uh yeah. the kind of way that we think about polka and some accordion music mm -hmm. it all just get you know, um, mumbled in together, mm. they get blurred into a same category. Um, so the there wasn't a perception of seriousness. Mm -hmm. And I myself, I'm not knowing enough, I'm just getting into it. I was like, what do I do with it? What does one do with this? Mm -hmm. um, and of course, there was this bias as a classically trained musician, thinking that it's not you know, all that difficult. It's not mm -hmm. very deep or um, the world that it contains is not, you know, necessarily as profound or examined. And, you know, I'm still being proven wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've spoken to others who've gone to music school and then, yeah, and many, many of them, they look at tango as, the, I don't want to say they dismiss it necessarily, but it's sort of seen as a popular genre of music and like you said it kind of gets oh it is popular yeah. music yeah it doesn't make it less valuable right but right yes there's that division yeah, exactly yeah yeah absolutely yeah so it's one thing to fall in love with the music get curious about the music but you went even further and picked up the bandoneon uh so how did how did that happen um, 
So because I started my discovery of tango through Piazzolla, the main voice, the leading voice is the bandonian mm. in there. And um, it, I think what struck me about that um, is that it, it was a singing instrument. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a breathing instrument, most importantly. So having spent all my life on a you know, percussive string instrument, which the piano is, mm-hmm. people don't think of it as a string instrument, but it is made of so many strings. Mm-hmm. And it, the sound is created by hitting something. Um, and so coming from the instrument where the pitch and the tone and everything is prepared, um, and of course, you have to spend a lot of time to develop a technique to really um, bring it out to life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a huge departure. First of all, piano is stationary mm-hmm. and it's big. Right. And the pitches are set. And it, once you hit the note, you cannot really change the sound except with the manipulation of the pedals and some other factors, but only to a point. Mm-hmm. And bandoneon was the opposite of that. It's perched on your lap and it's moving with you, mm-hmm. it's kind of wild, it's breathing, it's like a little beast. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and it, um, it vibrates on, um, on your lap, like you're feeling the immediate impact mm-hmm. um, on your body. So um, I think that really drew me. And um, even aside from all this explanation, the, the timbre, the quality of the sound it has, mm-hmm. it is so, um, addictive there's something very uh there is something very powerful about it that really draws you mm-hmm. so yeah uh, in so when thinking about this i didn't really know enough to realize that i could play tango piano mm-hmm. and i'm not sure that even if i knew i would have gone for it because i was so hooked on bandonian at that point uh-huh. So um, once I didn't really think too much about it, mm-hmm. and then once I uh, started sort of going down the rabbit hole, learning about the music, um, I thought, okay, it's hard to find um, the instrument in the U.S., mm-hmm. so I'm going to go to Argentina and buy it. Nice. Wow, that's dedication. And I've had some exposure to it because um, mm-hmm. I took uh, a few lessons with um, one of the bandoneon um, players in the East Coast area. Mm-hmm just a very introductory stuff. So I had, I had my hands on it and um, it was such a strange uh, foreign instrument mm-hmm. that um, I didn't like jump uh, head in. Um, so in 2005 or six, I, I'm forgetting, mm-hmm. I went to Argentina for the first time. I was there for two months and that's when I finally bought a bandoneon with the help of the friends. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, I wasn't really playing actively because I didn't have, I couldn't find anybody to play with in Philadelphia at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started taking tango dance classes. Okay. Um, so by the time I went to Argentina, I was just going to dance classes and milongas every day. Nice. <laughs> I did want to get to dance in a second, but back to the bandoneon, what were your first few lessons like? Humbling <laughs> and confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some good teachers who were kind to give me the introduction, um, but, but I, I would say the the community of tango music and the context back then was really a different story. This is, I guess, almost twenty years ago, mm-hmm. and the information that's available, the 
network that has sort of connected like now, it, it, it was completely different. Mm -hmm. So um, I was basically sort of stalking people, finding out their names and trying to go to their concerts and wondering if they will talk to me. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say uh, the whole context wasn't quite there. Mm -hmm. So um, it felt very compartmentalized. I was just accessing a piece of little something through a tiny little peak hole. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, I, they were, they're helpful, um, but I would say it was also confusing because I was then not uh, quite transformed mm -hmm. in the uh, way of learning music very differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so if I just went to Argentina straight and then, you know, was able to join some sort of tango orchestra or program, mm -hmm. then I would have had the environment for me, but trying to do this in the U S with one person mm -hmm. and with, you know, not much other, uh, background, um, it, I felt very blind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it looks, sounds like it took a bit of detective work to really kind of piece together either teachers or a lot of the information. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you know. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know if you know Ben Bogart, another Bandoneon player, but he, uh, but he, um, he mentioned to me that when he wanted to learn, he was in Argentina. He just knew a few names that he just picked up the phone book and found them and just called them out of just called them out of the blue and <laughs> and they said, yeah, come on, come on over, okay. And then yeah, that's that's just kind of how it is, like kind of flying blind, like like what you went through. I know it's. I mean, it sounds like such an ancient history or like it mm -hmm. dates us, but that was really the reality. We yeah. had no idea where to look for. So checking out books and then trying to get some online, you know, recordings of people playing, yeah. wondering where they actually live mm -hmm. um, because musicians move around and, you know, where they perform is not where they live. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it definitely took a lot of detective work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, spending just hours pouring over somebody's names. And, you know, also I wasn't Spanish speaking back then. Oh, wow. So everything was just like, you know, just grabbing in the dark. <laughs> but I think that tenacity definitely, definitely paid off. So as you were getting, you know, better and better at the, at the Bandoneon, what was, uh, I guess, what was the first song you tried to play on your own? Oh, I can't remember. Okay. I, I I can say the most significant mm -hmm. piece that um, a solo piece mm -hmm. that I that really connected with me. Mm -hmm. There are many pieces before that with other teachers. Was um, Piazzolla's solo piece. It's called Con el Cielo en las Manos, mm -hmm. and this is uh, coming from a tune, a piece of music that he wrote for a film because he was a film composer. Mm -hmm. Uh, to you know, make a living too, and that piece I learned from Julian Asse uh, during our tango camp in two thousand something, <laughs> two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen, I think. Okay. Um, so yeah, that 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 to me is sort of the first of the piece that I felt like mm -hmm. I could play with some dignity. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So, what was it like? I guess when uh, when you came across the turning point, because like you said in the beginning, it's a very humbling instrument. I mean, the 
the keys are not laid out like in a piano where you can find your C where there's this kind of a very logical layout or even on a, on a string instrument as well. And Bandaleon's a very, very different creature, a little beast, like you said. Um, so yeah, what was, uh, can you describe the, the turning point when it really started to, started to come together for you? It's when I moved to Argentina, which kind of is self-explanatory. Mm -hmm. Up until then, I think I was, um, I moved to Argentina in 2014. Mm -hmm. So I have been um, learning about and kind of flirting with and playing tango and learning for mm -hmm. almost uh, about a decade. Okay. And I've grown to a certain point. And of course, um, being, a, you know, a musician, and being proficient in one instrument, I could transfer some of the learning approach and you know how to study, how to rehearse. Um, <clears throat> but it wasn't until then um, that I really understood the bigger picture of it. Um, tango genre itself being more than just bandoneon mm -hmm. or music um, as a culture, as poetry, as you know commentary on the urban life and that time. So that didn't really hit me until I moved there. And I think it started, started dawning on me in many, my many visits to Argentina before then. Mm -hmm. And I've had really wonderful friends who invited me to play in their ensembles and um, was enthusiastic to open the doors for me and then explain all the you know, behind stories of certain players or the tangos and the jokes. Mm -hmm. So many jokes. <laughs> um, but I think when I moved there and really got to be... A resident mm -hmm. rather than a visitor mm -hmm. um, and I had all the time in the world I had quit my job and I was living as a student mm -hmm. on my saving and all my life required of me was to go to concerts take lessons practice go to rehearsals and just to live that life so um, I was completely at the mercy of this music mm -hmm. and I was a student all over again nice nice so how did your family react to you getting this deep into tango? Um, they, <laughs> they're very apprehensive in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, my, my parents, they have given up on telling me what to do by that point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I was an adult, mm -hmm. but also they, they knew that I was going to keep traveling to places that, that have, they have never gone to mm -hmm. or uh, for bizarre reasons. Um, so in the beginning, they thought it was probably going to pass. And you know, how much could there be in tango? And what is this thing? <laughs> um, and the quintet that I have co-founded in uh, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. that continued to play and build. So they were watching this. Mm -hmm. And it was a secondhand experience for them too, to understand how one's musical identity changes, right? Yeah. So I was still figuring it out and they're watching me sort of go about it. And then they're seeing me perform at different places where they would never expect a concert to happen mm -hmm. or in the context that is completely different from the classical music. So, uh, but eventually, I think in the last several years, when I decided to go to Argentina, they were definitely shocked, but they were supportive. Mm -hmm. um, there was also a, a big change going on in my personal life. And they understood that this was time for me to make sure that I pursue something that I want to do mm -hmm. and put everything else you know, behind. Mm -hmm. So they were shocked, they were concerned, but then they, they were hopeless <laughs> and um, changing my mind. Yeah. So I, I think after moving back from Argentina, 
and then being able to actually put that uh, as a full-time career mm -hmm. and going after it in a different capacity and like I guess a renewed or improved capacity they have been following it a lot closer and um, you know they will give me lots of comments and observations about what they thought about this concert that player mm -hmm. this repertoire mm -hmm. um, so they have they're now fans oh good good <laughs> It's funny when I told my parents I was doing teaching tango full time, I, they had a little bit, they had a mini meltdown. <laughs> so that was a fun conversation. <laughs> I, I can only imagine. I mean, I, me being a 1.5 generation immigrant, mm -hmm. I can't completely dismiss their world and their worldview. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, um, and especially their son dancing tango yeah. and teaching full time. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. My my parent. Yeah, I was born in the U.S. My parents immigrated from uh, from Taiwan. Um, my uh, mm. it's funny. I didn't. It wasn't until a little bit after my grandfather died, I realized that he liked tango music, and I never knew that. So he played that. He and my oh. father both played the mandolin, and I was playing poema, you know, Canaro's poema. My dad heard it and said, "Hey, I know that song. You're, you're you know, my dad used to play that all the time. It drove me nuts." <laughs> So that wow. was it's funny I discovered that it was uh -huh. somewhere in my in my family's history, even if just uh, in a periphery. Yeah. You know, it's also a reminder that um, as much as we are sort of thinking of ourselves as frontiers, um, it's cyclical, right? Yeah. It was very much there. We didn't discover it all, all on our own. Mm -hmm. um, so actually, the funny thing is, um, I'm sure my grandfather has heard of tango at in his time when he was playing music. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I wouldn't know now mm -hmm. since he passed away a long time ago. Um, I discovered several years ago that my cousin in Korea, um, his, the, one of the sons of my mother's brother, mm -hmm. he's a professional tango dance teacher <laughs> and tango dancer. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, why didn't I know about this? I mean, my extended family in Korea knew that I was playing tango music. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I have toured to, uh, Korea, what, almost uh, four and a, almost five years ago mm -hmm. um, and at that point I knew of my cousin but I was like I it was almost like a family secret <laughs> it wasn't really a career that they're going to tell everybody look my son is doing this um, so funny. yeah I'm looking forward to connecting to connecting with my cousin at some point yeah that's amazing <laughs> but you you took some tango dance classes yourself uh, how did you how did that go did you i just like all of you it was mm -hmm. a total addiction yeah i was going to class uh you know at least twice a week mm -hmm. and going to a milonga once a week um and you know i think i went up to new york to dance mm -hmm. and that's when i was wondering if i had actually met you i'm sure we had been on the same dance floor i'm sure at some yeah point. yeah yeah um so yeah i was all in i was so hooked and, um, and the Philadelphia tango scene was beginning to grow then. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember there was a group of us who were, um, you know, avid dancers. Mm -hmm. And one was uh, really into ballroom and blues and swing. And the other one was doing tap and salsa. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of us danced like one or two things. So we would start at a ballroom dance in New Jersey uh, on, a, on a night. Mm -hmm. And then we would take care of our dinner there. And then we'll go to a salsa club in Old City after. Mm -hmm. And then we'll go over to Tango because Tango open, you know, stays open late. Yeah. And then after that, around like two, three o'clock, then we'll go to a diner. Mm -hmm. 
and grab breakfast and then go to work next day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Those are the days. Yeah. So when you started dancing tango, uh, how did, did, did that help your understanding of, of the music? Absolutely. Um, and it was a secondary way for me to get my feel of listening to tango. Mm -hmm. So it was being curated for me, right? Right. There was a DJ there playing it and I was physically sort of absorbing it rather than having to be an actor in that music. Mm -hmm. So that was, um, you know, it had a huge impact on how I approach it now and want to um, connect and relate to the dancers and the movement mm -hmm. uh, that, that this music inspires. So, yeah, um, to this day, I, I don't dance often now. Mm -hmm. And especially with the pandemic, that's been sort of out of question for yeah. me. So um, when people ask me, do you dance anymore? I tell them, well, I dance when I play. I will get a break in between sets mm -hmm. and then I'll dance with a few friends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, only so many hours in a day too you know you gotta do your music and then dancing it's a, it's a lot of stuff so yeah 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 like you said earlier with tango music and also with tango dancing i think it's not just about playing the instrument or learning the steps i mean it's you really got to take it in there's this history and there's this uh you know it, it kind of gets into your system and it's an emotion it's a philosophy as well so it's a it's a sort of this all-encompassing yeah, and thing and at the end of all that i mean at the foundation of all that is you're not dancing alone right so your world is merging with somebody else's worldview mm -hmm. i mean their tango worldview yeah um so it's always a really um mind-opening and challenging experience to sort of observe mm -hmm. and accept and then you know integrate together yeah so i i mean you know this that there's so many life lessons in there yeah <laughs> um and yeah, that um, really gave me, I mean, I, I sort of gives me a different sort of physical feelings when I think about certain orchestras or repertoire, mm -hmm. because I know how that made me feel yeah. fresh on the dance floor, just learning. And I really felt like a moth to a flame. I walk into the milonga or class and this music that I love so much is playing. And I'm already kind of drunk by that music. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's really transporting. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, what was your first, what was it like your, your first time playing for dancers? Oh, um, let's see. I'm sure it was in Philadelphia. Okay. Because this is where we came up. Mm -hmm. And it might have been Leslie and Kelly's uh, dance studio um, in West Philadelphia back then. Um, <clears throat> It was fun. It was nerve wracking. <laughs> and um, there was, uh, we were feel I, um, the, when I say we, it's a quintet. Mm. It's just like piazzola is a quintet instrumentation. Um, violin, bandoneon, piano, ba uh, bass and guitar. And I think we're, I was really determined to prove myself, <laughs> of course. Um, but knowing that I could, um, never, I could not play at the capacity that I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it was all kinds of excitement, nervousness, um, and just hoping that they will find at least some of that very danceable. Because <laughs> I imagine it's a it's a much different dynamic than playing for a seated audience. Oh, absolutely, and um, it starts way before you get to the stage when you select your repertoire, and um, 
I think I was sort of an ambassador between the Milonga and our, our quintet because our quintet, we all started because we more or less um, either knew about Piazzolla mm -hmm. and got interested into tango or was friend with one of us that got sort of recruited into joining the band. <laughs> um, so they didn't really know um, how to pick this repertoire or what this piece meant for certain dances. Um, so I was trying to take the lead on shaping this, never having DJed for Milonga or anything, mm -hmm. um, and still pick a play piece that they can play and they would know, and that'll come across, that'll be easy enough to digest. So, you know, I didn't pick a Pugliese piece, like right from the yeah. mm -hmm. uh, bed. We did pick some Saigon pieces, but that's another, that's another story. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> so, yeah, we chose something that was palatable and manageable for non-tango musicians mm -hmm. as we're learning. So it started with that. And then I think we s slowly uh, started going over to more traditional tango repertoire and ability to play and interpret it and, you know, fashion it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. Nice. Now, one of the one of the really fun things to listen to as a dancer is um, the variación. Like the last, for those who don't know, it's like the last couple phrases of a tango song, and the bandoneon really gets to shine here. It, it does this uh -huh. really, really cool, really quick, um, you know, series of notes. It's just really beautiful to listen to. So. Um, what was, uh, I guess, a, a variación, like the first one that you really nailed down and was really proud of yourself for forgetting? I think it must have been Pavadita. Ah, okay. Yeah, and it's a short variación, mm -hmm. um, but that was the first time I was in charge. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I remember this because I was at a tango camp mm -hmm. and um, Pablo Aslan, the bassist, mm -hmm. was leading my group oh, in that wow. camp. Mm -hmm. And um, we're all more or less beginners. Mm -hmm. And I had the, you know, the privilege of being Bandanem 1, <laughs> which doesn't say much. <laughs> uh, so then all of a sudden, I was the one who was supposed to carry those notes. Wow. Uh, so I remember that being terrifying and fun and like feeling like I was elevated to something important now. <laughs> nice. One of my first big tango performances was to that song. So that's a, oh, I see. That's a special place in my heart. Yeah, it's a nice song. So yeah, Google it if you don't know yeah, it. And, I, and, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's a, um, kind of lighthearted, still has the drama of the tango. Mm -hmm. Um, and it can, it's very scalable from a small ensemble to a bigger ensemble. Mm. So I think that's also the lure to it. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, you're never going to forget the first big challenging pieces or first big performances. Mm -hmm. um, so they stay with me and, you know, I, I'm very uh, partial to listening to them because it brings back all the memories. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's just, it's just so cool to listen to. So for those of you new to tango out there listening, um, yeah, pay special attention to the last few phrases. I mean, to the whole song, but, you know, don't just write that off as the fast part. Really listen to it. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say there are plenty of pieces where the variation doesn't happen mm. um, necessarily, or uh, variation might happen like in the, mid in the middle. So, for example, mm -hmm. um, Darienzo's version of La Comparecita, mm -hmm. It has 
the famous variation of like four bandoneons, like they're going at war. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's so fierce. It's it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but it happens in the middle of the piece, and then they switch off with a violin solo, and then they come back a little bit again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it all the placement can differ too. But the traditional a lot of the styles is that you end big with a big blowout variation yeah. by like four bandoneons. Nice, nice. Yeah, what's your practice regimen like? Um, the best time of the day is the morning. So mm-hmm. um, it's a struggle to s- preserve that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, so that regiment looks like um, ideally a few hours a day. Mm-hmm. And it starts with a slow warm up exercises. And for me, I've also taken to warming up on the piano first. Okay. Um, because that's I've been doing that my lifetime. Mm. It seems to warm up my entire body and mind and ears like mm. really quickly, quicker. And not to mention that there's some still some pieces that I want to keep up on the piano. So sometimes I start on the piano, and then take a little break and walk over to bandoneon, mm-hmm. and then start bandoneon warm ups exercises, and then start going into the pieces that are solo and ensemble stuff that I know that's coming up for next concerts. Okay, nice. Last year, you had an awesome Esther Piazzolla marathon. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, it was a part of the Centennial Celebration, and um, it was a three-and-a-half-hour concert. That's why we call it a marathon. Wow. And it was like a retrospective. So looking at Piazzolla, um, not only with him, but what made him and what influenced him. So mm-hmm. we presented his music in chronological order, beginning from the top when he was just beginning to dabble in tango and orchestras and playing and all the way to the end uh, to really show his evolution and then what we did was just like cortinas we had some breaks in between Mm. with the music of his mentors and peers so uh, music of troilo music of alberto ginastera which was his first composition teacher and uh, music of bella bartok uh, which was a contemporary composer at the time Mm. of hungary and um, somebody that Piazzolla studied a lot, mm. um, his compositions. And then um, with a jazz a piece of um, Duke Ellington. Oh. Uh, because Duke Ellington and Piazzolla are definitely the parallels of really representing their, um, not only time, but their country. Mm-hmm. So uh, as a com- composer, performer, band leader, they really were so prolific. So, um, and jazz, uh, jazz was such an important part of Piazzolla and he was a fanatic. So mm-hmm. um, with marking those times and like significant changes. Mm-hmm. So there was uh, 19 musicians from Philadelphia, New York and Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. And for three and a half hours, and it was any, everywhere from solo to a dectet, uh, like a 10 plus piece ensemble. So this was sort of like a dream come true for me to really present Piazzolla according to the original versions that he wrote some mm-hmm. of the music and to play the music that people don't get to hear because it's not as popular Mm -hmm. um, or you cannot record all these musicians who can play that. Um, So really have a very thorough um, and interspersed with um, talks Mm -hmm. and explanation of where he was at his uh, life point. Okay. Um, So there was a huge endeavor and we did an in-person and uh, virtual performance Mm -hmm. presented by um, Esperanza Arts Center in Philadelphia. And um, it'll be a, become available online soon. But I'm really hoping to do a ver- many versions of this mm-hmm. um, and take it on the road. Nice. 
Nice. Yeah, you mentioned Bartok. That's great. I, I used to, you know, when I was a kid, I did like playing a little bit of Bartok music. Of course, um, as a violinist. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, as a pianist too, I, I like the stuff. But oh, my, yeah. um, it's kind of funny. My mom didn't like it, so I wanted to play Bartok. But mom's like, "No, Bartok's dumb." So that was the uh, the end. Oh, of Bartok. That was the end of Bartok in my house. But you already had <laughs> a good taste. No, Bartok is. I mean, I understand mm -hmm. it's an acquired taste, especially yeah. for people who are not musicians. Mm -hmm. um, but his contribution is so significant. And what's really interesting is all the people he Piazzolla studied mm -hmm. with or studied. They were all sort of nationalist focused, meaning okay. that their music was influenced by the indigenous music and the folk music of their country. Mm -hmm. um, and they got to sort of really show that to the world and elevate it and bring attention to it. So there is definitely that common thread. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, but something about him struck me. My piano teacher said, why'd you try this guy? I'm like, oh, okay. And then I'm like, oh, I kind of like it. So, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you should go back to it. <laughs> maybe I should. Maybe I should. Well, my parents are sending up my old piano to my place, so yeah, I think I still have my oh, old Bartok beautiful. book somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that I was really happy with. Um, we also had some really <clears throat> wonderful um, classical musicians and mm. other musicians who were part of the concert who was able to play a Bartok trio nice. for piano, violin, and clarinet. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, you wouldn't think this, but all of the musicians, well, myself included, we we're mm -hmm. backstage like headbanging because it was just so rocking and it was really moving us. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, somebody said that Bartok is like, you know, Piazzolla of Hungary, yeah. of classical music in a nice. way too. Um, so it was really beautiful to be able to really show the web of all of that, that made Piazzolla, especially mm -hmm. as uh, somebody who identified as New Yorker and Argentinian. Okay. Yeah, so with musicians, with dancers, I guess with, with almost any kind of um, interest or activity, we all sort of develop our own styles of doing things. So how would you describe your your bandoneon playing style? Wow. <laughs> Maybe people who are listening to this can tell me instead. Okay. <laughs> um, I think my style is somewhere in between um, very free and very uh, very notated okay um and i would say that um i think i don't play my bandanoon like i play my piano mm -hmm. the approach is different um but i think this all depends on who's looking at me from which standpoint mm -hmm. <laughs> and um but so I think I uh, there is a lot more freedom of owner, uh, you know, being a creative voice, improvising, and um, putting your own uh, singing quality to it in Bandanon. And it might be that I was not that good of a pianist to begin with. That this is more possible in Bandanon. Um, but I would say my style tends to be, um, yeah, I, I would say um, somewhat free and. Um, emotionally available or charged at least that's what i'm aiming for okay nice yeah that's just that's just really fun to you know to hear the different styles of people and plus you know as as we get older i mean or as we have more experiences that you know mm -hmm. that style can change or it can evolve and yeah so yeah, good wow shinju i, I there's I feel like we can talk all day about tango music. Maybe one day I'll have to have you on the show again, but I know, um, you know, maybe you have other things to do. Um, so yeah, where can we find out more about you online? 
Um, so, uh, website, my full name, uh, shinjocho.com, okay. S-H-I-N-J-O-O-C-H-O.com. And uh, I am on Facebook and Instagram uh, by the same handle, uh, my first and last name. I'm an older generation. I don't have cool <laughs> handle names. And um, YouTube channel, although that's slowly building. Okay. And um, I am redoing my website, so hopefully I can come back to people with um, something that is a little bit more comprehensive. Okay, great. So I'll have that in our show notes. People will be able to, to look you up. And plus, thank you for sending me those links to um, the video links to your performing. And I'll have that on there too. I want people to check that out because it's, uh, it's really cool stuff. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, Shinju, thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, learning about you, getting some insights on uh, tango music, and yeah, I'm sure a lot of people really appreciate your insights. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Nice to talk to you and uh, meet you again. Okay, that was Shinju Cho. Wow, what a story! Lots of interesting stuff in our conversation, and as you can guess, one of the big takeaways I got was that learning to be a good musician is a lot more than just being able to play notes on an instrument. Like Shinju said, you have to take in the history of the music to have an idea of where it comes from and to understand that it's not just a melody, it's an emotion and also a way of thinking, a way of understanding and a way of making sense of the world. And all of that also has to be expressed through the instrument. And maybe that's the reason why the bandoneon is such a great representative of tango. The instrument literally breathes, and it moves around, and according to Shinju, it's like a small beast. And what better way to express the idea that tango music is a living thing, right? And in addition to all that, I really loved hearing about Shinju's deep sense of curiosity and a willingness to not just try, but dive into new things. And if we follow our curiosity, instead of fearing or holding back on it, we can come across some pretty amazing experiences and opportunities. Something to think about. So thank you again, Shinju, for sharing your thoughts and for your time. And a big thank you to all you listeners out there. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a short moment to leave a five-star rating or review on iTunes, Amazon, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you're using. That really helps out. Thanks for your support. All right, you've been listening to Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm Joe Yang, and I'll talk to you again soon.